Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or of course Friday evenings on RTE Radio. My name is Dusty Rhodes. This is show number 907. I'm joined as always by our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson, uh, to chat about what's happening in the news. And good old, good old Irish government is looking after citizens. Who knew? Who knew this could possibly happen? What a time to be alive. Uh, Okay, two interesting things have happened uh, if you're uh, into open data. So uh, open data, for those who don't know, is basically if something happens and data has has been gathered about it. So let's look at, say, for example, rubbish collection patterns in Dublin Mm -hmm. or something like that. You know, something useful, something to do with uh, a public utility, for example, or or something that, you know, we we as members of the public would have access to. Kind of like a freedom of information request. You know, there's all this information out there. We can inspect it if we want. So uh, in our world, it'd be something like homes that have access to fibre data with one gigabit downloads. Exactly. Okay, All this kind okay, of stuff, right? Gotcha. So there's a wonderful portal called data.gov.ie, which has more than 13,000 data sets on it. And you can basically go in and they're all separated into categories. And you can have a look and see what people have been have been gathering information on. So, you know, for example, you've got uh, budgetary breakdowns for... Um, small areas and, uh, mm. you know, around the country. Um, there's geoservices information and of, and you can export all this in different formats as well. So, you know, you can go CSV as an Excel sheet, as HTML. You know, everything is there to make it really interesting and really simple to interrogate this information. And the news this week is that we've got a, a national training regime for the use of open data coming in and there's also um, a tech what they're calling the technical services framework for open data and data management uh, and the second one that they've got is the national open data training framework mm. uh, and in particular they're looking at public sector bodies um, so Again, anything government has touched uh, since July 2017, I think there might be a, um, uh, an awful lot more historical data there. I'm not too sure. Um, and f- from henceforth, all PSBs, all public service bodies uh, must make any data that is requested of them available to the public in an open and readable format. So you, they can't just send you like lots of raw code or anything like that. It has to be stuff that's easily um, uh, interrogatable. Now, you're a so journalist you and you're uh, constantly investigating stories. Will you find something like this uh, useful to be able to go and do a deep research and background on your stories? Absolutely. Yes, yep. this is this is great number crunching stuff. Mm. Uh, and one of the things that they have uh, on data.gov at the moment is they have the COVID-19 stats. So uh, they, they will have various data sets on COVID-19. So mm. you'll be able to go in and have a look at the trends. Um, and they have a, a special front end for what they call linked data. So you can basically put together X plus Y plus Z uh, at your leisure. Uh, and see what the results are, as opposed to just having to look at a, a giant list and maybe having to filter it uh, yourself. Do you know what I think I'm going to do? 
What? The website, you said data.gov.ie. Yeah. Okay. I think I'm going to register rainman.ie. <laughs> I'm going to point it at that. Because <laughs> a, well, a friend you. of mine calls me, sorry, my friend's wife calls both of us Rainman. <laughs> Just because numbers and whatever stick in our head, like, you know, so. <laughs> of course, I'll never get a die. They'll go, oh, you've no connection to it. Da, 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 da. Um, also going on in our... Now, I think this is brilliant, all right, because I love the fact that in the EU and in, in Ireland, of course, uh, that if you buy something and you're not happy with it, you can go back to the shop. It's one of the reasons why I tend to do my research online, but buy in a, in a brick and mortar store because I know if there's a problem, I can take it back. That is hmm. changing for... Digital purchases, which, of course, are so much harder to take back. What, what gives? Yeah, the government is, uh, they've just published the Consumer Rights Bill 2022, uh, in which they're doing a couple of really interesting things. One of which is that they're extending protections over to digital products and services, which is great. So if something doesn't work the way it should, you actually can seek redress, um, despite the fact that, you know, there isn't a a shop to actually walk into. Mm. Um, The right of repair is enshrined in this. We're huge fans of the right to repair. Uh, and also, and this is really interesting, uh, it is going to be illegal to post misleading reviews of products or services. So, you know the way that you, you'll go through TripAdvisor or something like that. Mm. And, uh, I, I think, what's his name? Michael McIntyre does, uh, does a great um uh, routine about it, yeah. where it's like yeah yeah you can go through a couple of pages of you know really really happy but what you're really looking for is that bad review you you want to see how bad things could get yeah yeah uh, and it's true because we do like a little bit of doom we do like a little bit of a disaster and mm. um, it's what it's what takes our attention but if you are posting reviews out of you know maliciousness or it's something you haven't engaged with at all or it's a bot or something like that this is the sort of thing that's going to be sanctioned in future now i don't know exactly what the what the exact nature of the sanction will be but they are in the it's a practice that's in the firing lines which is fantastic news all right excellent uh, we keep an eye out for that elsewhere in the news uh, donald trump is back Ugh. Um, with the Truth app, which, of course, is just hilarious in itself. Um, somebody was, you're going to, Truth is the name of it, but I believe that may not necessarily be the case. And you've got something on that in a second. Uh, I saw a comment from somebody who said they wanted to sign up to the Truth app, which is now out. But the thing is, it's not actually out just yet. It's kind mm. of like you have to join a waiting list. So when they sign up for it, they got a, an email saying, thank you for joining. Due to massive demand, we have placed you on our wait list. We mm. love you. You're not just another number to us. Your wait yeah, list number sake. is 4,001, 477. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, a couple, couple of things that are interesting about Truth Social. Uh, go on. And, you know, another place where you can go and you don't have to disagree with anyone because everyone is telling you what you want to hear. Um, with a particular subgroup of people involved in, mm. in American political life. But um, yes, 170,000 downloads on the first day, massive demand. And of course, that did lead to long waiting lists, as as you said there. Not getting properly released until March, possibly the end of March, which is, uh, I think, is like four months behind schedule. Mm. 
not a, not great. Um, there was actually an urban myth out there about uh, Truth Social, which is kind of interesting. Uh, it was that it was going to charge you $5 a month to be a member of Truth Social. Not actually true. Okay. Not true. Uh, also, it is not available on Android. It is iOS for the moment. And that's it. Interesting. Interesting. Mm. I, I, was, I'm, I was half thinking, going, will I sign up for that just to see what's on it? And you, I don't no. think I can. Listen, do you know what's interesting? Uh, uh, it, it's literally because you just said there that the Trump app where everyone tells you what you want to hear. Mm. Okay, and you get that kind of little echo chamber and uh, and whatever. I was doing mm. a story during the week on the uh, on the French presidential election, which is just kind of really getting into the last stages at the moment, right? Mm-hmm. And the two front runners are uh, what's his name, Macron, who's the the current president, and then there's uh, Valerie uh, Pécresse, uh, who is another kind of conservative center character or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So they're kind of the two the two front runners. Um, and in order to run for the position of president, you have to have 500 mayors uh, or official signatures to, to sponsor you. And a lot all of signatures. Of, yeah. Th- no, 500 signatures of mayors or officials mm. or whichever. All right. The, uh, shall I say, the wacky candidates mm-hmm. are finding it hard to get these signatures. And what's been happening in the last week is that mayors across the country have been saying, OK, I'm a conservative Republican, but I am going to give my vote or whatever signature to one of the wacky candidates because the person I would support is already in. Mm. And we need to have opposing voices in order to make this a democratic process. Do you know what? That's that's actually quite reasonable. I know, but it's just, it's insane. You would never hear about it. Do you know what I mean? Can you imagine it's, that it's happening in Ireland? It's a world full of people out there. It's a world full of people. If you didn't know what everyone thinks, it'd be a very boring life indeed. Well, that's uh, that's that's for sure. Anyways, listen, uh, speaking of a world of people out there, uh, we've had a guy who has been on to the copyright people in the States. And this is a kind of an interesting question. Essentially, he has a little bit of artificial intelligence, an AI, an app or whatever it is, and that's created a painting for him. And he went, that's jolly good. I think I should copyright that so that nobody can make a copy of it without my permission or paying me. He can't mm. copyright it. And why can't he copyright it? He didn't create it. The AI did. Mm. So the so, AI would have to go in to the office and copyright its work, which, of course, it can't. <laughs> And did he code the AI? Did he have anything to do with its development? The exact details of that, I don't know. Okay. I think it was a bit of AI that he got and he tweaked it. Mm. So I think the argument was you can copyright the AI, but you can't copyright the what the AI produces. Okay, that's interesting because you remember a couple of years ago, there was this huge argument. You remember the uh, baboon that took the camera and took the selfie. And uh, I think it was Peter took a court case to say that the baboon actually had uh, copyright ownership of that picture because they took it themselves. Um, And the copyright board actually ruled against said baboon, uh, whose case was taken by Peter. I I hope I'm right in saying that. I think I am. And um, uh, the reason that was given was that there was no element of human authorship. Right. So this um, this is extended to things like uh, so animals. Yep, that's fine. But also divine beings. So God can't copyright anything. Right. (laughs) 
So when you read the Bible and it says copyright, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not copyright to God. Who owns the copyright on that? Yeah. No, no. So, yeah, because you always imagine like there's somebody going to try and copyright something in the Lord's name or something like, something oh, like that. Oh, that is no, very interesting. Can't be done, can't be done. So you have to be able to demonstrate that there was human authorship of it somewhere along the line. So this is kind of interesting from a generative art perspective, because mm. you might remember a couple of years ago, we had um, a piece about AIs that had written poetry in the style of, of great poets. Mm. Um, they sounded, some of them actually sounded reasonably convincing, uh, but you couldn't copyright that. Right. Uh, uh, because there, it was completely the product of, you know, a non-human process. So as for the technology behind it, I'm sure it was, unless it was open source, which is also possible. Um, but yeah, the actual product is not copyrightable. So an interesting lesson there, because I know there are musicians out there working uh, with generative art. Um, and that's kind of interesting to know that what comes out of their speakers isn't, isn't necessarily them. <laughs> Uh, so I think that's that. You know, there's there's a lesson in I, that for people. I kind of do like copyright because in some ways it's just beautifully simple. Okay, mm. if you created it, you own it. All right, and you've got a physical copy, and you can prove that when you created it. But no, it's not that simple, is it? <laughs> It's Apparently never, not. It's never. Apparently so. not. <laughs> Good stuff. Listen, that is it for our uh, for the news for this week. Now, thank you as always. Do remember you get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters, and more at our website techcentral.ie. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. One of the challenges we've all faced over the past two years is maintaining our mental health and keeping a sense of perspective on our lives. Now, an Irish online service is giving everyone a convenient way to engage with mental health professionals. Now, are we just talking about therapists or is there more to it? Richard Stafford, who is co-founder of Fettle.ie, spoke to Niall Kitson about his company's vision of making therapy for all a reality. Essentially, I come from a software uh, background rather than coming from a psychotherapy or counselling um, background or experience. And I just felt that therapy, as such as an industry, if you want to put it that way, lived in a sort of an analogue world. And my approach was that I kind of looked at the data and saw that the um, Irish Association for Counselling and Psychotherapy in 2019 did a general public survey where 92% of people in Ireland thought therapy was a good idea if you were in any way struggling with your mental health. Um, 50% of the population at any given time would have various levels of stress or anxiety or even depression. But only 11% of people actually go and engage with a mental health professional. Now, Leia did a, a survey throughout the pandemic called the Great Reset, and they found the same statistic that only 11% of people are actually engaging with a therapist. So the three main reasons or the three barriers for that were access, cost, and stigma. So my background, um, you know, has come from working with companies like Salesforce, with Oracle, with ServiceNow, where you're putting the best practices in terms of performance marketing, personalization, user, customer experience. And I thought that, you know, I think by the data I've just explained that people know it's okay not to be okay, but what they're just missing is a, a digital first solution that's maybe a little bit less crisis orientated, something that gives them permission to talk to a therapist, something that looks and feels like every other industry that we interact with. So that was my sort of vision for Fettle, 
was to put together something, as I say, that matched the industry standards of whether it's e-commerce, whether it's gaming, whether it's on demand, and to put that into, into the therapy space. Now, we very quickly, we were proven right in terms of a product market fit, if you want. We started out with 12 psychotherapists working through our platform. Um, we now have uh, 37, I think it is, and we'll do about 1,500 hours of counselling this month. One of the things that uh, that you raised there is sort of leaning towards the idea of the platform. One of the benefits that we're finding of this platform-based approach is that people seem to have a lot more ownership uh, either of their finances or anything else that they're, that they're dealing with via a platform. So what sort of um, learnings did you take from the idea there? Were you able to look at, you know, this is working in music, it would probably work in therapy, or the level, level of control over here is quite interesting, this might be a, a good service to our customers? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So typically when you looked at trying to book any sort of an appointment or a counselling session, you were met with various levels of qualifications of different price points. You're very unsure of exactly, you know, what am I booking here or, or, or that lack of ownership or lack of control, if you want. So we wanted to put that back into the power of the consumer, back into the power of the, of the customer. Um, and essentially, we wanted to standardize a little bit and ensure that we were offering, you know, uh, we, we were, we were uh, validating who our qualifications are of all of our clients. They're all accredited or pre-accredited, all of our therapists with recognized bodies. But we have a standardized and set pricing model. And essentially then with the, I suppose, I suppose the, the digital adoption that's happened in the last two years, um, online therapy is quite sticky. It's probably one of the more stickier aspects that, that will come out of the sort of virtual hybrid living and working that we've got used to. Because now people have a greater access and ownership and control of who they could see as potential therapists whether that's by issue, whether that's by modality of therapy, um, whereas before they were quite restricted in terms of, okay, I, I might get a referral to my GP or I might ask a friend. And now you basically can come on, you can view, you get matched to a therapist through various different filters or through different sort of customised kind of chatbots that we have in place. Um, does that answer the question or is that uh, what you're looking yeah, for? Yeah, it's an interesting uh, point that you raised there by integrating chatbots uh, and modality of therapies, uh, therapists as well. So where do where does the chatbot sit within the offering? So the chatbot is really just to try and, and bring a, a client on a little bit of a journey to match them to the most appropriate therapist. So it, it, this kind of raises something which I would be very strongly, uh, I suppose, strongly believe in, is that when I was in my software selling days, I would have sold large kind of scale, complex customer service solutions. And something that I would always mention to the head of customer service for Paddy Power or something like this was maybe the concept of case deflection. And that would always be something that would be of interest to uh, a customer service department rather than having, um, you know, rather being able to deflect people to maybe a knowledge base or in some way that they're able to self-serve. So we're, we're very strong that we don't want to case deflect people into automations in terms of chatbots or anything else or self-help type exercises. We want to foster and enable, um, just through the use of technology, the human-to-human -human connection. So I think that we're all electronically connected but a bit too more emotionally disconnected. So we use the chatbot that we've customized and that we've built purely to get a person to what we think is the most appropriate therapist for them. And that's based on issues, based on modalities of therapy. Perhaps they're looking for a CBT therapist or a DBT therapist, something like that. 
that sort of opens up a discussion about the kind of therapist that you want uh, uh, sort of uh, available through your service. Uh, Have you found any particular problems in attracting the kind of, for want of a better term, talent to to work within your app as therapists? Do you find people are skewing towards uh, one certain discipline or have you found a a pretty broad range of uh, acceptance so far? So in terms of the supply or the therapists, um, Ireland is actually quite in a kind of a unique situation. There's a supply-demand imbalance um, throughout most of the rest of the Western world. Four out of ten psychotherapists in Ireland work less than five hours per week. Seven out of ten work on a part-time basis. And again, this is from the Irish Association for Counselling and Psychotherapy. So what you literally have in Ireland are thousands of therapists that can't get clients. Um, You have 92% of the population who feel therapy is a good idea. But as of yet, these barriers of cost, access and stigma um, are basically blocking people from, from, from connecting with, with qualified mental health professionals. So in terms of the therapists, they're, they're loving working online. They find obviously they're getting wider access to clients that they wouldn't normally see. We have uh, therapists based all over Ireland, so they have a kind of a local area. Now all of a sudden they're talking to Irish people that are living abroad, maybe in the Middle East, Irish people from different parts of the country. So in terms of um, you know working online, I think uh, I think as a, as a as an organisation or as a, or as a group of people, um, therapists probably lack the digital skills, which is the feedback that we kind of get, is that they don't understand how to digitally acquire clients, how to manage social channels, how to you know operate any kind of Google ad campaigns, and it's not actually cost effective for them. So we're in the middle there, basically facilitating that introduction, and we're making everything you know, trying to match, as they say, those best levels of customer service, of user experience, um, look and feel that people are used to from other industries. And we feel that if we concentrate more on the customer experience that the person has through the booking process, through the matching process, that we don't need to talk necessarily about, you know, the stigma associated with it or anything that's very, we don't want to just normalize it. That, of course, you know, we can access, I can book a dinner table tonight, I can book anything else. So, of course, we can access um, talking to a mental health professional. Part of that normalisation uh, is also uh, pr- pr- provides a greater awareness for businesses as to how they can look after their staff to a certain extent, commodifying the idea of wellness. How have you found relationships with businesses have been uh, when it comes to your expansion? Is there an appetite there to maintain employee wellness or is it still very much a case of, you know, your, your wellness, your business? No, I think there's a seismic change that's happened in the last number of years. So there's statistics knocking around in terms of how many times mental health has been mentioned on earnings calls by listed companies have gone up a couple of thousand percent in the last couple of years. Obviously, there's a kind of a, a, a big, I suppose, um, I wouldn't say war for talent, but there's a, a big competition for talent at the moment. And in terms of attraction and in terms of retention of talent, more and more uh, you know, employees are seeing it as, look, I need a standard something here in terms of mental health uh, support. Now, in terms of some of the language that's associated with it, yes, that's very much maybe leading towards coaching or wellness, etc., rather than you know depression or anxiety type thing. Or, but burnout is something that employees would be very conscious about, and we are very we are very um, finding that we're very, it, it's very easy to have a very open conversation with employers now. So they know that um, you know that in order, like I think there's a statistic delighted did a big survey in the UK that for every euro that's invested by employers in mental health support, they'll get five euros in return. 
that's a fascinating statistic to to be able to sort of quantify the the benefits of maintaining a sort of a, a workforce with a you know a degree of resiliency uh, about them so you mentioned there are some international statistics that were that that were being uh, uh, that were being done, some studies. So where do you see uh, FETL expanding internationally uh, at the moment? Yeah, so very good question, Niall. So right now we're onboarding therapists to launch in New Zealand at the end of next month. Um, we kind of strategically made a decision that you rather than maybe a traditional route for companies here that start out in Ireland is maybe to go over to the UK quite quickly. The UK is probably the most digitally saturated market in terms of um, any sort of digital sort of uh, you know, industries basically. So we've kind of taken a view that um, I'm sort of very much from a performance marketing background and we want to make it kind of a quick impact if you want in terms of scalability and growing. So we've pinpointed a few target markets where we feel that there's been low penetration, where we feel that FETL will immediately get some traction. Um, and in terms of just our underlying metrics as a business, in terms of our cost of acquisition and in terms of our lifetime value, essentially what we're doing right now is we'll be launching in New Zealand. We've picked one or two other target markets as well, one or two in Canada, in Quebec and a few other places. That's interesting that you've sort of localised uh, the, the Quebec market uh, in Canada right. as opposed to sort of going going for the country as a, as a whole. When you're looking to uh, identify new territories that's that's worth uh, marketing in, to what extent do you assess the sort of the, the data floating around in that area about mental health service uptake or digital transformation uh, projects or even things like uh, broadband connectivity? Yeah, so you've kind of combined pretty much everything that we were kind of analysed. So just to kind of give you a bit of context, in Ireland, 11% of people, have, as I've described, would engage with a mental health professional. In the UK, it's 28% and in the US, it's 49%. So I've just pinpointed New Zealand and that's kind of similar or closer to Ireland. Um, you know, and that's what we're looking for. We're looking for essentially a market where we can, you know, look for that growth market. You know, I mean, in terms of this current uh, market size in Ireland, you know, it's actually 103 million, but that's only for that 11%. So there's actually a huge growth market there now of people that are just waiting for something, someone, a digital solution to give them permission to go, okay, it is actually okay to talk to a mental health professional. You know, this is my professional problem solver and listener. So yes, we would analyse in terms of who the existing um, incumbents are. We would analyse what sort of presence they have in Google, how sophisticated they seem in terms of um, their SEO, in terms of their paid advertising, in terms of any sort of performance marketing aspects. And we would come in and see where we can, um, I suppose, implement our set of skills that we are going to replicate um, in terms of the best practices that we've learned here from the Irish market. So lastly, just to have a look at sort of the business end or, or the corporate end, uh, if you will, and the different offerings that you're looking at for different settings, what sort of needs do you find large companies are coming to you with that maybe the average consumer uh, hasn't thought about or hasn't come across just yet? Well, I think some of the incumbent sort of legacy type EAP solutions and the employee assistance programs were kind of predicated on the fact of, of the company not utilising the service as much. So typically they were probably heavily crisis orientated or stigma. You would have gone to a HR representative or manager to try and look for, your, for a phone number to contact somebody. So I think basically employers are coming to us with a lot of things around resilience, a lot of things around burnout, 
um, simple things around nutrition and just basic general, I suppose, um, health, mental health check if you want. Now we do some specific on the ground work with managers as well in terms of scope. So we'll try and get a pulse or a kind of a check of what the organization is like in terms of cultural wise, in terms of supporting and their employees. And we can feed that data back and we can run a sort of a, a kind of a very focused type um, uh, webinar series with the Q&As after it. And then we do a kind of off-the-shelf kind of webinar series, if you want, which cover the sort of top-line topics that, you know, employers are interested in, which, as I say, I mentioned, tend to be around resilience, burnout, just kind of healthy mental health habits, if you want. And that was Richard Stafford, co-founder of Fettle.ie, chatting with Niall Kitson. That's it for our show for this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie. And of course, you can hear us each week online or Fridays with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.